This is Unfilter, episode 189 for May 25th, 2016. Let me bear my soul just a little bit more. When you're confronting an enemy that's prepared to blow up and kill innocent men, women, and children, you have to go at them using the capabilities that we have. If we fail to do this, and God forbid this country faced another 9-11, you know what the first question would be. Why the hell did you let this happen? Why the hell did you let this happen? Years ago, I was listening to the show called No Agenda. It's a show with John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry. I was driving to Wenatchee, Washington, to pick up some bacon. And when I was, <laughs> are you serious? And on my way out there to pick up some bacon, I was listening, and this guy by the name of Chris Fisher was listening. Was actually he donated into the show, and he said, "Yeah, Chris from Jupiter Broadcasting, from my town where I was living in." And so I, I couldn't believe it. Chris, a fellow podcaster, I reached out to Chris. That guy's in Marysville? He's in my own town? He's down the road from me? Right. <laughs> so I, I, I found him through his website. I sent him a note. Um, and four years later, we have this awesome show called Unfiltered. Hey, buddy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And that's why you don't want to be a douchebag. Douchebag. That's right. <laughs> you know. Well, actually, I need to be de-douched. You do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. You didn't, did you? Yeah, you do have to kind of... Uh, yeah, when you donate, you, you, you have de-douche. to follow up on that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, it is pretty cool that we, we crossed the fourth year marker. And uh, which is crazy, I know. And there's big things this year for the show, which is yeah. which is, 2016 has been nuts. And last week we weren't going to do a show. We decided no show. We're gonna we're gonna take a little break because we wanted to break a few things behind the scenes and put them back together right, yeah. on, on our regular Wednesday. Yeah. Um, but then you know, producer Matt and I were looking at the incoming clips, and I just I felt like that news cycle was about to be replaced. Like, I just felt a new wave of crap coming. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It did. It came. We got a wave of stuff to talk about. So we're going to start... we're not going to do a lot on this, but we're going to spend a little bit of time on that Egypt air flight just to get everybody up to date on what's going on there. And what's interesting about the conflicting messages that have come out in the last few days, we do have some very fascinating things in the terrorism uh, category. And then I want to spend a little time Talking about September the 11th, 2001. Oh, by the way, I need another ding for our opening clip. Yeah. So this week, 48 Hours, the CBS premiere 48 Hours, the Tiffany Network's 48 Hours, spiced up and re-sliced up and jazzed up a documentary about the CIA. Right. And it's notable because they interviewed all 12 living CIA directors, including your buddy. My good friend. Michael Hayden. And this is unprecedented. This doesn't happen. George W. Uh, the old, Pappy Bush. Pappy Bush. Pappy Bush. Retired Pappy Bush. Who, yes, used to be the director of the CIA, too. Another one of my good friends. Weird. Uh, was in the, I mean, they, they, they really went. So this was supposed to be the last, the last you know, decades of events, according to the CIA, and it turns out to be a brilliant piece of propaganda about 
And it's it's fascinating the way they're going after that narrative right now. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. Wow. All right. So we got that. And then, of course, a little 2016 update, uh, a few other stories. And then after all that, we'll get into the overtime. <clears throat> so let's start with the Egypt air. So those of you that are not aware of what's going on here, this story is going to bring you mostly up to speed. We have dramatic new details on the final moments of the Egypt air flight before it vanished. The Greek defense minister says the plane was flying at 37,000 feet when it suddenly dropped. The plane plunged more than 20,000 feet and spun sharply before disappearing from radar. Now, the Greek. Now, this is the important part. The, that's the that's the radar report from them. Now, that is terrifying. French and Egyptian officials say Flight 804 from Paris to Cairo crashed in the Mediterranean. 66 people were on board the plane at the time, 56 are passengers, along with seven crew and three security personnel. An international search is now underway for the wreckage. This marine traffic animation shows how boats rushed to the area to take part in the search operation. Mark Phillips is at the Charles de Gaulle. So let's stop there and get you a more up-to-date report. That, uh, you find so- it interesting, by the way, that they separate out security personnel from the count? Um, I find it interesting there were so many security personnel on the flight, and I do find it interesting that that has been separated out at the same time. Like, yeah. why are they bringing that to our attention when they don't right. need to? That's yeah. not usually something they bring to your attention. In fact, we're going to have some reports later on where they're intentionally leaving out details like that just so that way it doesn't make the connection for you. Anyways, moving yeah. on, yeah. there is now – remember I said keep note of where that report came from because right. now there is conflicting information. Conflicting accounts of the final moments of Egypt Air Flight 804 deepening the mystery tonight over over the plane's fate. Still unknown whether there was an explosion on board. The initial answer may come from the bodies. An official at the Cairo morgue tells CNN more than 15 bags of human remains have been delivered to the morgue. Which is sad and disgusting and not the worst part. The official says those remains are small in size. Egypt Air's vice chairman is refuting remarks from some Egyptian officials that small body parts indicate there was an explosion on board. So the Egyptian officials are working really hard here to refute a couple of narratives that come out from independent reports. In any high-velocity impact, it leads to defragmentations. Defragmentations, Chase. Defragmentations. You know, like your hard drive. <laughs> and this is not indicative of to what caused oh. the accident. So uh, as of now, this is all speculations. Veteran investigators tell CNN body recovery is critical. A detailed examination of the bodies could reveal important clues. You would x-ray the bodies to look for fragments of bomb blast and things like that. That may give you information. Egyptian officials say relatives of those on board have been giving DNA samples to help match what's been found to possible victims. So, Can you imagine the scope of effort just in coordinating that? That's... So far, only small pieces of debris have been recovered. Pieces of seats, luggage, life vests, personal belongings. No major parts of the fuselage have been located. Another point of contention tonight, did Egypt Air Flight 804 make a dramatic swerve before it vanished? Now pay attention to this part because this is really where the conflicting information is the most contentious. Shortly after the crash, the Greek defense minister said radar indicated the plane swerved 90 degrees left, then 360 degrees right before it plummeted. But a top Egyptian aviation official now denies that, saying the aircraft did not swerve or make a precipitous drop in altitude before it disappeared. Now, I'm not saying the Egyptian authorities are wrong. The, the, the thing that I don't understand about their statement is 
the Greek defense ministry had them on their radar. They had just flown over. They were, in terms of resolution, in terms of range, they were closest. It's in, it's in their uh, air traffic control So they control would space. theoretically have the best uh, yeah. eye on what's going on. Right. Yeah. A veteran controller and radar expert says it's possible neither official is wrong, that they're saying simply what their own respective radars picked up. He says because the plane had just flown over Greece before it vanished, Greek controllers may have gotten a more detailed picture of its track. The Greeks had potentially multiple surveillance radars tracking the airplane, and the airplane had just flown over their airspace and was still in relatively close proximity. So they would have been able to have a much higher resolution on what the airplane was doing. Interesting how it's just getting all these conflicting reports. And it, it definitely feels like, the, A, the media really loves themselves a disappearing plane, and they really, really, really want to pin it on ISIS. They're waiting for somebody to pin it on ISIS. And so they brought your buddy on. My good friend. Yeah, he also, this guy used to also run the CIA, oh. uh, but only as a temp, only temporary while they were changing. Is, it, is that head. what it says on his LinkedIn profile? Mike previously Mar- worked at... No, now he works for CBS News. Ah, contributor. Interesting, interesting. Mike Morell, yeah. former temporary director of the CIA and number two guy at the CIA for like 25 years, right? now works for CBS, the very company that just ran that documentary on the CIA we're about to get to. Huh, coincidence? Hmm. Hmm. One has yet to claim responsibility for downing Flight 804, but there are strong suspicions about terrorism. It is not clear, though, where a possible bomb could have been planted on the jet. In the 24 hours before the crash, the plane had flown from Eritrea to Egypt, then to Tunisia, and then back to Cairo, then on to Paris. Former CIA Deputy Director Michael Morell is a CBS News senior security contributor. He's in Washington to join us in the discussion. Mike. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> so I was just uh, sorry. I was yeah. I was reading the chat room. Uh, the chat room points out. Um, I really have to ask this question too. In two in 2016, when we have real time video from drones where we can go kill somebody in the sand right, all the way yeah. across the world. Yeah. How can we not have solved this problem? <clears throat> Second question for you. Did you know that when a military aircraft crashes, as it goes down, it ejects a transponder that can float? Really? And they've had this technology for a long time. It's not even exclusive to the military. If you right, bought a high-end uh, dinghy or a high-end escape craft for your boat, like your, like say you had a sailboat and you just got a nice... Actually, there are some planes, like smaller, you know, uh, two, three, four passenger airplanes Dude, that have a drones parachute. drones are going to have this soon. Yeah. I don't understand why we can't have real-time data from these cockpits. Eject a little transponder. I don't understand why we can't eject transponders that can float, that have their own... Ind- I know the black you can boxes... Even have a, you can even have a tether still on the plane, tether it with the plane, but it's ejected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the military has really, really tested the hell out of this technology. Uh, and uh, it uses – I looked into this. It uses like the 400 megahertz spectrum. Right. And it can broadcast at the 400 megahertz spectrum for a very, very long time. Uh, and it's, it's, a system, it's a system that goes yeah. wide and that tons and tons and tons and tons of civilian and, and government equipment pick it up. And it's – it's been in here forever, and supposedly, even the airlines have reviewed it. It is it's kind of expensive. Well, good morning to you. Good morning, Gail. It is heartbreaking to hear the details of this plane. And early on, Egypt, officials in Egypt seem to point to terrorism within the first few hours. What and Egypt has been has just right on that, right on. And so it's interesting now when, when you have the Greek defense ministry coming out and saying, well, not quite. we don't know what's going on. What do you make of that so early in the game? 
So I think it's too early, um, as Holly said, um, to make a definitive judgment that it was terrorism. Could be a lot of things. Um, I think the Egyptians have an interest um, in this being terrorism rather than mechanical failure. Oh. I think that's what took them to their early statement. But uh, as wow. I said, we just don't know yet. Right? Can, like, wow. I, right? Like, good for you, Mike. Good for you. Okay, Mike, but suppose it is terrorism. Come on, oh. Mike. Come on. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie. Come on, let's say it was. I love him so much because he's so predictable. Like, you could bet he was going to do that. We should have had money on what, that. What if he had an iPhone? <laughs> it was encrypted using that chat app. What steps would lead us to that determination? So I think there's uh, two tracks here. One is um, what's going on with intelligence agencies. And there'd be two things, Charlie. One is, um, is there anybody on that flight um, with a link to a terrorist organization, number one? And number two, are there any conversations that are going on right now within terrorist organizations, non-public conversations where they're congratulating each other. That's one of the ways you 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 see who is responsible. That has that has surprised me. I, I thought by now we'd have Rita Katz publishing on the site intelligence group that ISIS was claiming responsibility. Or, or you would have competing groups trying to claim responsibility. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we want this one. We yeah. got this one. Well, no, yeah. nothing. Not even tweets that say we inspired or encouraged. So that's on the intelligence side. On the investigatory side, it's looking at the wreckage, debris, bomb residue, um, that black box that could tell you what what brought down the aircraft. And Mike, looking in terms of the investigation, looking back to Charles de Gaulle in Paris, you know, in the last year, some 70 workers at the airport have been dismissed or had their security clearance this revoked. This is what I thought. Part- Immediately, I thought someone from the airport did something really? on the plane. That's my first thought. Like a disgruntled employee? Yeah, you know, because we've always heard about security lapses at airports with employees, you know, where they're not as thoroughly checked, you know, they, they get pie, all that fun stuff. That, that was the first thing that popped in my head. Huh. You know, I'm going to have to re- I'm going to re-listen because my bias was coming through here. I thought, oh, listen to him. Even though Mike said it's definitely not terrorism yet, he's no, still it, trying to turn it over to that. But it may not be terrorists. Could just be somebody disgruntled. Okay, let me Some 70 workers at the airport have been dismissed or had their security clearance revoked because in part of links to terrorist groups. It's not just really the passengers then that we need to be concerned in this day and age. Absolutely correct. Um, you know, over 2,000 West Europeans have gone to Syria and Iraq to fight for ISIS who have now come home. They're going to get jobs. That makes it sound like they're trying to tie it to terrorism. I think your theory could be even more likely. Yeah. And, 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 and isn't that why we have worldwide surveillance of all of these things? Well, that's why we have PRISM, right? I mean, that's we, we know everything that's going on. We have a copy. Yeah. So if you want to know more about uh, like the search for the black boxes and that, we do have those links in the BitTorrent sync. Um, I'll play just a moment here of NBC because there's some – well, I'll leave it for the sink. I think I'll leave it for the sink. We don't need to talk more about it, do you? Or do you have any more no, thoughts? Good. Yeah, I, I think I, I err on the side of not overdoing it because that's all the mainstream media right. is doing right and now. we really don't have a lot of information yeah. yet. And, yeah. and that's the key, right? I mean, right. We, we know an unfortunate tragedy has happened. Yeah. A lot of people lost their lives. Yeah. Until we have Let's some wait. real – yeah, we don't need to yeah. – we don't need to speculate on, on that. It's just – yeah, we well, can we, wait. We don't have to because we don't have commercials. <laughs> that's true. We don't have sponsors. Uh, in fact, why don't we cover something that's just getting – almost no attention right now. I I would be surprised if you'd heard this story. Army whistleblower Chelsea Manning is back in the news today. That, as her defense team filed an appeal 
for her case this week, arguing her prosecution and 35-year prison sentence is unconstitutional. Have you heard this story? No. Yeah. RT correspondent Anya Parmpil tells us more. Light them all up. Traffic, Come on, fire. Light them all up. These were the now infamous words uttered by a U.S. soldier from an Apache helicopter in Baghdad shortly before it opened fire on a crowd of civilians, killing at least a dozen people, including two Reuters journalists. The collateral murder video is just one story of the Iraq war we know, thanks to Army whistleblower Chelsea Manning, who furnished the video as well as other war and diplomacy-related documents to WikiLeaks, exposing, among other things, 15,000 more civilian casualties in Iraq than was previously shared with the public. In 2013, for her leaks, she was convicted of violating the Espionage Act and sentenced to 35 years Mm. in prison. You know, this story is extra relevant as we get into the CIA documentary that we're about to play in a moment. Yeah, so I didn't think many people heard about that story, and I thought that was worth talking about. There's also another story where there's a ton of conflicting information, and it's from an unreliable source, yet the media is just... Quoting it anyways, let's see if you can spot the unreliable source the media is using in this clip. Take a look at these satellite images just into CNN from the intelligence company Stratfor. They show the... Did you catch it? <laughs> the intelligence company... Stratfor, uh, yeah. Stratfor. It's a, or Stratford, depending on how some people say intelligence it. Intelligence company Stratfor. So Stratfor, uh, <clears throat> pretty much discredited as a company that sold a lot of nothing, a lot of hot wind, got hacked by some by a hacker who was working for the FBI okay and leaked all kinds of information including and I'm not joking here information that leaked Alec that links Alec Jones Alex Jones to the CIA what I yeah it is they are uh it is it is Go 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 Google it and well, you know. Driving me crazy is that picture right there. Zoom in on that picture. Come on. No, sorry. <laughs> Don't make me do it. You know I'll play it. You know I'll play it. <laughs> What's what? <sighs> What's driving me crazy? What's driving me crazy is that photo right there. Zoom in on that. It's one of those cops in a black uniform with a no, mustache. No, it's not a cop. That's not a cop. <laughs> so it, it's so great uh, how this is essentially this Stratford company. What it is? It's a privatized intelligence agency that uh, companies can hire to have their own private CIA. It's disgusting. It's dangerous. Wow. And uh, they've been hacked. And what's what's ridiculous about them getting hacked is they're supposed to be an intelligence agency. They're supposed to be like it's it's made up of retired government officials and military experts that come work for Stratford to give them credibility in the names. Meanwhile, all the lackeys doing the work, well, they're just lackeys that some, you know— HR person hired. Stratfor. They show the before and after of destruction at a strategic key airbase between Homs and Palmyra called T4. Stratfor says this is the aftermath of an attack by ISIS that destroyed Russian military hardware. Russia denies this, saying these images are old. But moments ago, the U.S. Now, what, 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 what possible reason... What possible reason? Why? What possible reason would Russia want to deny this? Think about this. If anything, 
Russia would be like, yeah, ISIS attacked us. That just vi- that just validates our position. That just validates our efforts against I, no, ISIS. I think the reason why they would say no is because they want to be shown that they're in a position of power and saying Maybe. that that no, 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 they didn't get us. We got them. Yeah, we, yeah, we are Russian. I could see that. It seems more it's like pride thing. It seems more like when you get a disaster like this, you um, when you get a military disaster, you like never this, waste it. You flip it. Yeah. And you flip it and reverse it, right. and you say this is our reason why we yeah. have to strike them. But I, I mean, Never I don't, wasting disaster. Your, your position's good too. I don't know which one it is. How can we know? But I mean, it, remember, we're talking about Putin, right? I'm talking about Putin. We're, we're talking about a guy, you know, who doesn't want. <laughs> yes, comrade. He, he doesn't want to look like he's he small. He doesn't want to look like he is small. You know, in in, in Syria, military attack. You he must look masculine and strong, comrade, with no shirt. These images are old. But moments ago, the U.S.-led anti-ISIS coalition spokesperson confirmed to me that the base was indeed recently hit. Now, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that Russia vacated this base as they start pulling out and then somebody came and struck it? This is a non-story to me. Isn't this weird? I, that's what I find fascinating about it is in the way that it is it is approached. They're quoting such a bad resource, and then they go to the military for the most non-answer ever. The Russians have denied that any of their vehicles were damaged in the last three days, even though these two satellite images, according to Stratfor, were taken three days apart. The U.S. believes they're genuine, right? Yeah, we believe that there was a strike on this on this base. Now, whether or not those were Russian vehicles or Syrian regime vehicles or something else, we're not completely sure. Clown cars. Them, certainly... Uh, there was White Toyota Tundras. The United States, when we make a mistake, we're honest about it. We own up to it. I just I find that to be a really weird story. There's more in there, uh, and and I I all of my only takeaway from that was there is something at play. There was just a top military official that just right. went over to Syria. He did some meetings, and then when he left, there was a series of bombings across a whole region that happened right after he left that the pro the US backed uh, rebels did in like the heart of some of Assad's territory all the timing's very strange combined with that story I'm just I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a of a skeptic sometimes and that's what triggered an alarm bell for me when I saw this story Tomorrow night, 48 Hours, will take a fresh look at the groundbreaking documentary with unique insight into the war on terror all 12, all 12 living CIA directors offer candid views of the battle against terrorism. Their opinions are even more relevant now as the race for the White House heats up. I found that I was making decisions on life and death. God, you are now clear to engage the vehicle. So when I started seeing this, I was like, um, <clears throat> what is this? What is Charlie talking about? What, 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 what? I remember when this was a Showtime exclusive. By, by the way, this clip from 2014. Yeah, yeah. Those decisions are never easy, and frankly, they shouldn't be easy. Boy, is that not boilerplate? And this is like, oh, so we have ourselves some propaganda. Except full confidence. The keepers of America's secrets. So I wanted to find this documentary called The Spy Masters, and I wanted to sort of break it down here on the show for you guys. So that way we could sort of see what they're trying to... uh, Put in our face. And here's a grade A high production CIA propaganda example for you. Anything except full confidence in our Look, if we wanted to cook the books, violence on our enemies. Only 12 men alive today have made the life and death decisions that come with running the world's most powerful intelligence agency. Let me bear my soul just a little bit more. 
the keepers of America's secrets. Can you believe this? Let me bare my soul. Which is such a, Hayden, he is so good at that kind of stuff. He really is the expert at sort of, and when you watch this, I have, I have a YouTube rip of it linked in the show notes. It'll probably get taken down. But if you get a chance to watch it, you see the way he intentionally structures his sentences is just for sound drops like this. Now, I don't know, Chase, if I'm properly explaining this, but when you... Oh, okay, so um, if you were... Say you were on uh, Tech Talk today with me right. next Monday. Okay. And uh, you had a sense that uh, you and I were doing a back and forth on a story and I was ready to move on. Sometimes I would toss it to you and you would give it like the sort of one-two punch to like and wrap it up yeah. and then we move to the next thing. Right. Because you, know. you are aware of the way the flow of sort of a show structure goes. And so when you are in the media and you have a lot of media exposure, you learn how to say things in a way that work really well for clips. Do you, right. do you, do you Absolutely. Agree? You okay. know, it's one of those things where you say when you're leading into the next clip, which I know we're going to talk about these 12 gentlemen right here. And so he said. Says, let me bear my soul for a minute, knowing that that makes the perfect clip. Yep. And it's, you really have to start breaking this down and understand that these men are very aware of what they're saying. These are the directors of the CIA, and it is in their interest to control the message. So with that lens, we continue on. Agency. Let me bear my soul just a little bit more. The Keepers of America's Secrets. The Spy Masters. And their top operatives share their convictions. There's and for the first time, their passionate disagreements about the agency's past, its current mission, and its future. I thought, wow, that's going to be interesting. It turns out, mostly talking about 9-11. It is a battle for the soul of the CIA. The soul. When you're confronting an enemy, that's prepared to blow up and kill innocent men, women, and children. You have to go at them using the capabilities that we have. If we fail to do this, and God forbid this country faced another 9-11, you know what the first question would be. Why the hell did you let this happen? Why the hell, Chase? Why the hell did you let this happen? You know what's interesting about this clip right here? Right there, where then it goes to the Spy Masters. Yeah. Spy Masters. Uh, you might think that was the beginning of the documentary. That was 12 minutes into the documentary. Whoa. Yeah, that was 12 geez. minutes in. Roll uh, credits. Yeah. <laughs> so what the CIA definitely wanted to get the message across was they were on the ball about 9-11. And they saw it coming, and they demanded a White, a White House meeting right now. Are you loving all of the music, all the intent, all the stuff that's going to get us pulled down from YouTube? Are, 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 <laughs> are we going to hear some music, some chanting here in a minute? And that that uh, that that that, yeah. that what is that? I don't know what you call that. Does anybody in the chat room know what the name of that 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 right here? That what is that? A streak? I don't know. For us, the system was blinking red in the sense that we blinking thought what red. we were uncovering was a top-down plot. Now, this is supposedly the gal that was chasing Osama bin Laden from the beginning. If you've watched that uh, piece of propaganda film about the hunt for Osama bin Laden, this is what this is supposedly the character that it's based off of. Something being ordered from Afghanistan out, but it was very difficult for us to figure out what it was. The crisis comes to a head on July 10, 2001. 
So in July, so making it very clear, well before September 11th, we had our eyes on the ball. Richard Blee, the head of the bin Laden unit, barges into Kofer Black's office. He comes in and he goes, okay, roof's falling in. I said, great, what you got? The information that we had now compiled was absolutely compelling. Mm. It was multiple sourced. It was sort of the, the last straw. Well, it's not just red lights. Red lights and chatter is a, a convenient way this is portrayed. There were real plots being manifested. I liked that. It's not just chatter. It's not just red lights. The American embassy in Sana is going to be bombed. British and American schools in Jeddah is going to be bombed. The world was on the edge of eruption. So there have we have multiple sourced threats. We're going to go to the White House. Now, what happens then in June and July, the threat continues to rise. Public pronouncements by people in Al-Qaeda was there would be eight major celebrations coming. The world was going to be stunned by what would soon happen. We decided the next thing to do was to pick up the white phone, call the White House. So we pick up the white phone, we call the White House. Very clear. They were way ahead of everybody else on this, and they were proactively contacting the White House. That's the message I take away from that. Clip. That's you right. Agree? Like, Yeah, they are trying to get their foot front. So once you frame it like that, you essentially are set up to just pin the entire mistake on the White House. Next thing to do was to pick up the white phone, call the White House. We're coming down right now. I said, Condi, I have to come see you. It was one of the rare times in my seven years as director where I said, I have to come see you. We're coming right now. Present at the July 10 White House meeting, our national security advisor, Condoleezza Rice, and other top officials. So Rich started by saying there will be significant terrorist attacks against the United States in the coming weeks or months. The attacks will be spectacular. They may be multiple. Al-Qaeda's intention is the destruction of the United States. Now, that does sound very alarming. It also is not specific as into as what should they do? Should we should we have uh, air patrols? Right. Should we have troops what on the ground? Do? Right. What do we So it is it is alarming, but yet it's not very specific. And I said, this country's got to go on a war footing now. So I slammed my hand on the table. After it was over, Rich Blee and I sort of congratulated each other in the sense that I think we've finally gotten through to these people, you know. We have executed our responsibilities. What happened? Yeah, what did happen? Yeah, what happened? Essentially, nothing happened. Yeah. Can you believe this? Who's the voice? Who's the other That's one? the interviewer. The It's weird that, like, he's on a different mic than the voiceover. Because he probably wasn't. You know what they do is they don't intend the the they don't intend to record the interviewer. They just right. play the they just play the answers back. Yeah. But they record the interviewer's track in case they need it. Right. But one of the other things you might note about that. So not only is that a weird production thing. I agree that jarred me too. Yeah. The other thing that's weird is they've dropped all music and you can hear the hum of their studio now. Oh yeah. And that which 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 that and they'll also do multiple angle close-ups and the reason why you do that so you drop the music so you hear the rawness of the studio and you do close-ups so that way you believe the person. This is a this is a production intentional production uh, I don't even want to say trick. It is a technique to make you connect with the speaker. But what really strikes me here he is squarely squarely Without any, any possible, any possible other way to interpret this, pinning this on the White House. Oh, yeah. 
Totally. Laying it down thick. Historically speaking, this is unprecedented. What happened? Yeah. What did happen? Yeah. What happened? Essentially, nothing happened. Yeah. That's right. Condoleezza Rice would later write that her memory of the meeting was not very crisp because we were discussing the threat every day. Having raised the alert levels for U.S. personnel abroad, she added, I thought we were doing what needed to be done. All right. So that's that's really kind of pinned it there, right there, directly on Connie and I, th- Condi, and I thought, wow, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I never had seen that. Then they really twist the knife, Chase. Uh, so only, the knife is in. And then they just twist. Now they're going to turn it. Airplane, by the way. You know what really does piss me off? <laughs> just oh, now now the gloves are off. The serious dramatic music is pounding. We are we are going all in. You know what really does piss me off? You know what grinds my gears? When people call this an intelligence failure. We knew this was coming. You know, American interests going to be attacked. Could very well be in the United States. You see how they go in and zoom closer. Yeah. They're playing the dramatic music. Raise we the eyebrows. We tried to get the message out there. We told you this was coming. We warned you. You know what really does piss me off? When people call this an intelligence failure. We knew this was coming. You know, American interests going to be attacked. Could very well be in the United States. He genuinely seems angry about this. And they are damned to correct the message. They want to make sure history reflects the CIA's version. It's serious. It's coming. Sometimes when I drive my car, I think about it. And to me, it remains incomprehensible still. I mean, how is it that you could warn senior people so many times and nothing actually happened? I mean... It's kind of like the sort of twilight zone, and you almost sometimes feel like you want to pinch yourself. There you go. If you yourself have wondered how the hell could this have happened, don't feel so bad. One of the CIA's top henchmen feels the same exact way. If you've been driving down the road late at night and gone, how the hell did this actually happen? Uh, Everything has changed. Yeah. Well, this guy apparently thinks the same damn thing. Comprehensible still. I mean, how is it that you could warn senior people so many times and nothing actually happened. I mean, it's kind of like the sort of twilight zone and you almost sometimes feel like you want to pinch yourself. At the end of July, we were sitting in my conference room just thinking about all of this and trying to figure out how this attack might occur. And I'll never forget this till the day I die. Rich Blee looked at everybody and said... Dramatic piano music. Close-up. A pause. Cut. And those close-ups are also a great way to cover a pause in his thinking and cut in closer. So you cut in closer so you don't notice that they actually made an edit to tighten up how fast he's speaking or stretch out how he's speaking. Exactly. So that's Either another, way. That's yeah. another technique they use there. And you notice the other close-up they're using here. So you got, you've got the dark lighting, the dramatic music, close-up on the face, cuts to cover up, pauses in, in maybe like a ums and ahs and make it a little tight. Rich Blee looked at everybody and said... They're coming here. 
And the silence that followed was deafening. You could hear a pin drop. They're coming here. Pretty dramatic, right? So you get a little sense of, uh, oh. of the message there. Uh, and so I feel like we have really recently, yeah. without going out of our way, been getting a lot of media talking about 9-11 into the show. And this is yet another one of them. And some of it's got to be, it's really got to be some of the pressure uh, that we're building up against the Saudis and this case and this Senate. The U.S. Senate has unanimously approved a bill allowing the families of 9-11 victims to file lawsuits against Saudi Arabia over the country's alleged role in the terrorist attacks. I think something eventually is going to break loose here with this whole thing. This whole damn thing's going to break something loose and the CIA wants their version of the story on the damn record. Right. And that's why, come on. Come on. They gave they yeah. they gave interviews with 12 of the last directors of the CIA including Pappy Bush who is literally on like his last few years. Yeah. And they sat down with all of these. The entire interview they they go on to talk about uh, the drone program and all of that is linked in the show notes. This is a brilliant pre- piece of propaganda and it cannot you you cannot underestimate how they time these things. It means something. Artie's Alexei Yaroshevsky has more. The bill which sailed through the U.S. Senate unanimously today is called the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, or JASTA. Uh, If it ever becomes law, it would essentially allow uh, the ordinary U.S. citizens to file lawsuits against foreign governments uh, if they believe those governments were involved in terrorist attacks on the U.S. soil. And we are primarily talking here about the families of the 9-11 victims who have been trying for years to file a lawsuit against uh, the Saudi Arabian government. So there is this bill going through right now. And the Obama administration has for a long time said, we will not uh, – I will try to block this. I will try to, I will try to veto this legislation. And it's been – they've been actually fairly aggressive about it. Oh, uh, yeah. In fact, you listen to your, your good buddy. My good friend. Uh, Josh Ernest. Talk about oh, – listen to, listen to the way he talks about uh, this bill with his tone and the seriousness of it. From the White House, which has again been reiterated today by its spokesperson. It's difficult to imagine the president signing this legislation. The president of the United States continues to harbor serious concerns that this legislation uh, would make the United States vulnerable um, in other court systems around the world. There's also a, a concern that hasn't gotten as much attention about the potential vulnerability that is created for some of our allies and partners in U.S. courts. The vulnerability. I want to stop there. Uh, so what Obama is afraid of? Is that if we release these 28 pages and the families sue the Saudi Arabia government, what we will be doing is transversely allowing other nations to sue us for our acts of terrorism. Right. The problem with that is it's absolute 100 percent pure bullshit because the way all U.S. laws in terms of. Our engagement overseas, our structure, the way we have written our own laws, we are not at fault at all. So in our nation's – the way our nation's laws are written, the U.S. is 100 percent scot-free. We are not in trouble. We are good to go. This is a bullshit, bogus reason and it is astonishing. The United States president is blocking this. Can you – can you fathom that? One of the worst terrorism attacks in the history of this country – one of the worst things to ever happen to us, which has caused years and so years so and years. So there's zero fact. Like, yeah, obviously we, we've written the laws in such a way where we would protect ourselves and call it us innocent. 
But that's not to say that they wouldn't try to bring charges against us in their court system, right? So not only is that not a problem, okay. All right. the way the legislation is written, uh, they have accounted for this. And so one of the great things is uh, Pete King. I do not like this guy, but Pete King is – he's not inside the – he's not in the circle. He's just outside the circle of trust. And so he doesn't know when to shut his mouth. And so he explains why Obama is lying. Object, there's legislation uh, on Capitol Hill that would let the families of those who were killed or wounded on 9-11 sue the kingdom of Saudi Arabia for any possible role – in the terrorist attack on 9-11. That bill passed the Senate unanimously on Tuesday, despite President Obama's veto threat, and now goes to the House, where you're a chief sponsor of the legislation. Now, White House officials have said that the president opposes the bill because he's concerned it could set a a dangerous precedent. Okay, a dangerous precedent. There it is. In terms of foreign individuals suing the United States. Uh If that concern is unfounded, as you and others maintain, why do you think the president opposes this legislation? Well, Jake, you know, this was thoroughly debated and, you know, there was an initial concern. So this bill is so finely drawn and tailored. Senator Cornyn in the Senate did an outstanding job. My staff has been working with his and also with Chairman Goodlatte of the House Judiciary Committee. And this is very finely drawn to say that lawsuit could only be brought against the government uh, if there's evidence that that government was responsible in any way for a terrorist attack on another nation. This is not going to open up to all lawsuits. We're talking about a very specific type of threat. A specific type of uh, crime. And uh, so to me, this is a, uh, uh, the president, I think, is overreacting to the Saudis now. In fairness to the president, there are some ongoing uh, operations that we're working with the Saudis on. He may feel it's going to hurt us diplomatically, but we have to do both because, listen, these, these families, I know these families. Terry Strada, her husband Tommy, was killed that day. His father, Ernie, was a mayor in my district. So as you can see, right. they've accounted for that little problem. Oh, okay. I, didn't know, I was unaware of that. And so I really I would really like a legitimate answer from Obama on why he's blocking this and why he now it, it, there may there may be such a, a such a majority that he has no choice. It but, could be a great Hillary debate question. Yeah, I wonder if it, that is one of the things I wonder if it will make it into 2016 it could. election. I think it will. You know, before we get into the election, yeah. I just want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash unfilter. This is an audience funded show. And we now have 459 patrons. Yeah, over there. that is really awesome. And we have been talking internally about a big initiative that we got really on, really close to the cusp of launching. And then I started then thinking. Then we pulled it back. Started thinking, you know. Because we talked to you guys. Yeah, we thought, let's actually talk to the patrons and make sure we're doing what they want. And we came away with a totally different set of plans. Like we did a big, big change up. Uh, and it really feels way more genuine. Yeah. It feels, because honestly, what, what the message kind of was is if you could do anything, Invest more time in researching in the show. Do more work in the show. Use your time and energy for that. Make the show better. Right. So we thought we came up with a couple of ideas that kind of uh, worked out pretty well. Yes. Um, number one being, during this segment right now, the, the patron segment, maybe we could start reading a couple of feedback items from time to time. Yeah. And so what we thought was, is because we want to make this segment snappy, we don't want to take a, bu- a bunch of the show's time. You know, talk, we talked about No Agenda at the top of the show. One of the things that drives me crazy about No Agenda is they sometimes like have like 45-minute yeah, it segments. Goes forever. It goes forever. I don't want that to happen to no. this segment. So we had the idea that one of the ways we could do that is if you want to become a 33-33 supporter at patreon.com slash unfilter, you can send in messages to the show every week if you want. And Chase is going to take on the job of reading those feedback and we'll often read them on the air, you know, or he'll respond to you. Or I think when we can, we'll read them on the air. That's oh, the absolutely. intention, right? Yeah, that's the total intention. 
So that's going to be really cool. So that's a, that'll be a way to sort of put a cap on it, but also and, give you a nice incentive for participating there. And the reason why we set it at 33.33 is because we know there's a lot of you that support us at lower levels. But those who support us at 33.33 are really the big foundation of our show. If it wasn't for those at 33.33 – we would not even be near where we're at today. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So we'll come up with uh, a jingle for the segment. Yep. I'll do that. And Chase will be reading your feedback on the air. So you can have what you write read in Chase's voice, which I almost want to do it for that. And then something <laughs> that we want to do, and I think I, I wanted to schedule it before we even got on air, but I just didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. Is uh, for, uh, at the 33, 33 level, we want to do a quarterly hangout. Right. Now, this might be the tricky thing, scheduling that, but I guess what we would do is make a post in the patron page saying, right. hey, we're thinking this day, sort of end of quarter, let's get together. When does this quarter end? Can we, uh, do we know? Uh, you want me to find out? I, I think it's going to be like the end of June. June, right? Yeah, yeah that's what June. I think too, yeah. yeah. So, I, so, uh, so maybe we just do one at the end of June, just yeah. to sort of and, and the cool thing about Patreon is we can lock in um, the posts to a specific level. So this way, you know, you're, you're, if you're in at the 33 level, you're, you're going yeah. to get it. Yeah, you're you, don't, you it. can attend or not attend. Right. Uh, we're just You're part of the 33 club now. And now, that's not to say that we're taking anything away from the lower levels. No. You're still getting uh, the BitTorrent sync. You can still get access to our Patreon exclusives. There's all, all, the, all the things we have at the lower levels remain. These, what we decided to do was give people a good incentive and a good reason to get in at 33-33 and take that extra time we were going to do by standing up a Mattermost instance and, and really doing a lot of extra stuff there, which was going to be you know managing a server, managing a community, bringing that stuff in, integrating into our production flow. Right. Instead of spending a lot of time doing that, what we're going to do is just double down on time on the show. And, and not change the show. I know a lot of you were concerned with some of the plans that we were putting out there in our unfiltered cables, where... You're thinking that, oh, well, people are going to start driving and pushing the content towards a certain direction, if you will, because they were a patron. And that's one thing that we didn't want to do. We wanted to make sure that we keep the show true to form. But at the same time, those who do support us at 33, 33 or above get a few more perks. You know, hey, if you have a if you have a website that you actually want to push. Feel free to send it in. Yeah, so Whatever the you thing, want to do. The reason, the reason is, is we want to just we want to really make this show continue to be sustainable for us, production wise. It yeah. is. It you know, there's there is uh, at least for one for every episode four people that work on one episode. Now you think about that. All four people have to be involved at some level. That just on its own is an expensive proposition. But beyond that, we. What it has to do as the Jupiter Broadcasting business grows is it has to remain an important part of the income source. So that way I, as a business owner, can continue to say this is worth our company's time because it is so much freaking time. It is so much time. It is an unbelievable amount of work to do this show, but we love doing it, and we want to get the word out there. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We only picked up uh, two new patrons since our last episode because we kind of had a funky week. So it was Monday, and then we didn't have one on Wednesday. So I will thank those patrons in the overtime. But uh, if you would like to help uh, get those numbers up, patreon.com slash unfilter. And for those of you in the 33 Club, stay tuned for our hangouts and all that kind of stuff. we got more coming your way. You want to hear my uh, my temporary uh, patron? Oh, uh, boy. You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Right. This is the... Uh, oh, yeah! Oh! Patreon.com slash unfilter. Love you, patrons. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. I felt like that. I felt like we moved there. 
Uh, you were dancing. You were dancing. I right. can't dance. My legs are tired. Yeah, that's true. Do you want to tell that story before we get back into the show? It's so kind of funny. if you are in the Northwest, I mean, we had a bit of a blackout today in downtown Seattle. I mean, it was in the downtown core where a lot of big, tall buildings are. And man, my building has 40 floors. And guess where I was? I was on the 40th floor. And so, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my boss and I'm saying, hey, what do you want to do? Uh, you know, do you want me to go home or you want me to hang out? And uh, they made an announcement that power wasn't anticipated to be restored for another couple of hours. So I walked down 40 flights of stairs to street level and boy, my legs. Oh, man, they're like uh, they're like spaghetti. And by the time I got down to street level and I walked over to the bus stop, lights started coming back on. <laughs> oh, so, oh, boy, so, so what I did, Chris, is I just jumped on the bus anyway. Because you don't really know what the state of the power was, No, really. no, not really. It and, might have been flickering. So how yeah. has the bus been going? Has that been... Uh... Well, the, the early bus sucks because it's not the express. Uh, I had to transfer in a couple of places and such. And by the way, everybody was trying to escape from Seattle. New movie. Uh, Escape from Seattle, and the buses <laughs> were so crammed. It was it was so bad. Oh, now, do the buses have Wi-Fi? I know I've asked you that before, but now... Yeah, been... but it's kind of pointless. I so, mean, yeah. everybody has you their own your hotspot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Is like, you're, like, so you're, so you're telling me... Wow, you hear that? That's my... Yeah, that's yeah, my this yeah, is yeah, my... Yeah. I, got a, uh, I got a Zevia zero-calorie soda. No sugar, no artificial sweeteners, oh. and no colors. No colors. Uh, perfect for Seattle. Uh, did they... Uh, <laughs> Do they have, like, when you get on the bus, is there, like, four or five Wi-Fi hotspots uh, that are, like, you, you hear that? Oh, there, there, there's a lot. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? So <laughs> I used to take the train a lot. I don't do the train anymore because the bus is actually a little bit better for me. And so when I would fire up the laptop and I'd do a Wi-Fi search, I named my hotspot TSA agent 25572. <laughs> oh, you're that guy, huh? <laughs> but I'm not the OMG, only guy. OMG, OMG, Yeah, I know. I see, like, I see that kind of stuff. There's like, yeah, there's a lot. And I think there's a lot of people that are, they're like, you know, or like one guy's like NSA watch 272. And there's a lot of people that are like that. So I love it. Okay, Mr. Chase, let's, uh, no, no, let's no, move no, on. No, 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 no. We got to no, talk no, about 2016 no, election. No, 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 no. no. Hey. Hey. Uh, now, one of the things I definitely noticed, and I picked it up, on, I picked up on a little bit on Monday's episode last week, is uh, if I say the name Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you say Clinton best friend. Now, if we went back in time a month ago, well, not for this show. No. That's not. We've been talking about it for a few months. But yeah. if we went back six months ago, you'd never have known that name. I wouldn't have. I would have because I know she was the chick in Florida that was oh. behind the whole election thing. Oh, you're right. So I forgot I, about I that. I remember her very, very well. I uh, So I, I find it absolutely fascinating how the DNC chairman has become a household name all around the nation. And uh, what's great is when MSNBC, which is the most liberal of the news networks, left, left. is like calling for or basically pushing Get her out of there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, a new report from the Hillmaker. Oh, no. Says the Democrats are discussing whether Debbie Wasserman Schultz should step down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think about that, Macon? As DNC chairwoman. What do, what do you think? You think she should step down? I think Macon's uh, been clear on that. Oh, has she already talked about that? <laughs> they think that she should do that before the party's national convention in July. Yeah. Before the convention, which is yeah. my favorite part. Yeah. One pro-Hillary Clinton Democratic senator tells The Hill, quote, there have been lots of meetings over the past 48 hours about what color plate 
Okay. Well, <laughs> anyway. delivered every Wasserman no. Schultz on. Um, so, really David that. Ignatius. Uh, but it, we have the author of the piece. David, it's it's simple, right? I mean, it, Debbie Wasserman Schultz has to go for the sake of party unity. Oh, so that's that's the wow. narrative on the media. Yeah. Wow. I love it. It's so great to watch this happen. It's so great. Wow. Uh, and you were talking about it as you got here today. There's a, a new report out that's not looking good for the dog. And we have breaking news out of Washington. The State Department Inspector General is out with a report on Hillary Clinton's private email server. NBC News has obtained a copy of the report, which says Clinton did not comply with the Federal Records Act. NBC's Ken Delanian joins me by phone. I'm Ken- shocked, Chris. Oh. I am so shocked that Hillary, Hillary, the former Secretary of State, the former Senator mm-hmm. of New York State, the wife, for, I almost said former wife, the wife of President Bill Clinton. The legal partner. The person that would know laws and legalities. <laughs> Chase, I got a little bacon for you. Wait, that's not that's not bacon. That's not, that's not bacon. Are you, are you saying no one wants to hear what right. No, I, well, go ahead. I just got no, a lot no, of no, bacon. No, no, no. I'm going to say, can you believe that she would break those rules? All right. I got bacon. Wait, that's not bacon. <laughs> you can eat my bacon. No, here's my real bacon. Wait. Clovis, California. It's going to come out that she didn't sign the documents. So you were reading the report today before we went on air, and it's sitting there clearly that she violated the State Department's cybersecurity rules. And uh, I think it's going to come out that, uh, well, she never actually signed those rules. Good morning. What do we know this morning? Good morning. Well, this is a report by the State Department's (laughs) Inspector General that looked at the email practices of, of all Secretary of State, but it explicitly says that Hillary Clinton didn't comply with the rules about preservation of government records. He's almost having a hard time saying it here on MSNBC. He's like, I, I, uh, uh, I think she... I think she <sighs> and that she should have preserved all the emails she was using and printed them out and handed them over to the State Department as soon as she left office. Oh, that's some good, that's some good government logic. You should, have, you should have printed all your emails out and handed them over. Oh. So the fact that she didn't comply, what does that mean? I mean, is there any repercussions to this or it's just a report saying she shouldn't have done it? And do they include, as you say, other uh, administration, uh, State Department officials? Yeah, I mean, uh, Secretary uh, Condoleezza Rice didn't use email. Colin Powell, who preceded her, did use email. And the report also points out that he didn't comply in all cases with the federal records rules. But um, but this report goes into detail and will mm. be seized on in the political campaign because it goes into a lot of the issues around Clinton's use of a private email server. For example, it reveals for the first time, and I'm just reading quickly through it here, mm-hmm. it reveals that um, key information technology officials in the State Department are saying that they were not aware of the extent of her use of a private email. Uh-oh. They never approved it. She never asked them. And they're saying that she should have gotten approval for that. And they probably wouldn't have granted it, actually. Uh-oh. Hmm. Thank you very much for being with me on this breaking news. Uh-oh, that's not sounding so good. Now, this is this report just came out today as we're recording, so we haven't had a lot of time to go through it yet. But damn, Chase. Wow. That that doesn't seem good. It's not good. And even even if she doesn't get any illegal trouble over it, it will be absolutely you it know, will be ammunition. You know Trump. Oh. I mean, Trump today was already pulling the trigger on this stuff. That, yeah. Crooked Hillary. Cool. Crooked <laughs> Hillary. No. Yes. Well, I was, you know, I didn't see that because I was too busy watching this Trump report. 
Wait, not that one. That's MSNBC. That's they don't breaking news. They don't like talking about Trump. That was that's <laughs> breaking another, news. No, Trump no, talks about Hillary. Just meanwhile, outside a Donald Trump <laughs> rally in New Mexico turned <laughs> violent. Burning the Trump flag. Get a rowdy mob out there throwing rocks at police, lighting fires in a chaotic scene. Several protesters barging through barriers that interrupt the, the rally rocks? in Albuquerque. Trump dismissing the disruption as um, pretty much par for the course. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a mischaracterization. Well, I want to come back to this. But first, we've got to listen just Trump. You know, he is sort of inciting violence. Like, I've never been on, I've been on board with Trump and was really, truly inciting violence. But do you remember any candidate for president in modern history that would incite riots like this? I mean, I wouldn't even say rally, uh, riots, but like really Not in my lifetime, civil no. uh, Not yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. I always say, if you don't notice them, you can't hear them. It's my people. But my people want to notice them, so go ahead, get them out of here. That just doesn't seem like the right thing to say. Trump, 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 Trump. USA, USA, USA. He's very savvy. He he knows he does not want the imagery of people shouting Trump, Trump, Trump as somebody gets drugged out, as somebody right. gets drugged out, yeah. somebody gets drugged out of there. Yeah. He doesn't want he doesn't want Trump, so he changes it. USA. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I find that I don't. I woo, this is really something. This and, is this is so not good. And I will say this: I think. It actually does more harm than good because the message is the anti-Trump supporters. Listen to the beginning of the report. Protests, meanwhile, outside a Donald Trump rally in New Mexico turned violent. Get a rowdy mob out there throwing rocks at police. A rowdy mob throwing rocks. Lighting fires in a chaotic scene. Several protesters barging through barriers that interrupt the rally in Albuquerque. Trump dismissing the... So these are Trump protesters. These are anti-Trump protesters. So who right. are they? Are they Bernie supporters? Are they yeah. That is... That question, that reverse... People aren't stupid. They're going to watch this and go, well, those... It's, it's, it's not it's Trump. It's those Democrats. It's not Trump. It's those Democrats that are going there making a big ruckus. It's Trump that's doing it. It's not Trump. And I feel like they're actually doing more damage to the, to the left than they are to Trump. Yeah, media it, coverage has never hurt Trump. No, it hasn't. They love it because it just gives them more ratings. Yeah, uh, Bernie says the convention could get messy. So when Senator Sanders predicts that the convention on the Democratic side could be quote messy, what does he mean? What do you think he means? He means that uh, we may not have a nice clean unity that they want. He means he's going to keep fighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> That means, you know, I mean, man, we got to rip out all the pages on the Red Book about this whole damn election. <laughs> I tell you what, because, a, this election has been because a we predicted uh, that Trump wouldn't get the nomination. I don't even think we Red Booked it. We're just like, but why? Why would we do that? And and then I thought that there would be no way in hell that Hillary would get it because the email thing would be an issue. Now, he, now, but here, here's the thing, though. I still have a chance, Chris. <laughs> I oh, actually yeah? still have a chance. I still have a chance. I, I've been doing some soul searching and reflecting on why I miscalled Trump. And I don't feel like I've miscalled Trump for the same reasons that organizations like NPR have, where they're so biased, they can't even see their own bias. I, I believe what I failed to fully appreciate, and I think in retrospect, it was kind of silly. The United States is full of people now 
that just do not trust a single thing the government says. And they are so angry. They want anybody, anybody but the politicians in office. And they have had it. And the other thing that I didn't fully appreciate is how little the American people like Hillary. Like, I knew I didn't like her, but I mean, it is, she is... There's a stat, right, about her and her husband that were, he is more favored than her. He's got a higher approval rating than her. And semi-recent polls have said that she's about as likable as Donald Trump. And what that says is that she is... Somebody who was a senator, the secretary of state, and the first lady is less likable than or as likable than as Donald Trump. That's amazing. I mean, this election worries me in a lot of ways because you have two sides that are so polarized that I've never seen before. I mean, honestly, that I can remember. I don't know. I'm not really worried about Trump's polarization. I think Trump – I think really Trump is a wishwashy guy who uh, is – what he would do is – like this thing with the Muslim ban. Now he's saying it's just a suggestion. Oh, no, it's not a suggestion. Everything I say is a suggestion. Climate change isn't real. No, oh, now climate change is real. Uh, this stuff is is indicative of a person who's going to – what he plans to do is bring in experts. And those experts are going to tell him what the best thing is going to do in different situations. So he's going to have an expert do this job, an expert do that. He's going to bring in the best people. He's going to bring in people that are great. And then they're going to tell him what to do. I worry about the people he brings in. Hillary, I have a totally – Hillary, I feel like, is the left's Ted Cruz, only with more political power because of who she's married to and what, she, what connection she's had in her long political career spanning back to Watergate. I feel like she's the left's Ted Cruz. You can read it on her face that most people don't like her. You can read it on her face that she's so thirsty for power. You can read it on her face that she's just outdoing all of this because it's her turn and she deserves it. And in, and you can tell that it's a rigged system and everybody knows it. And nobody wants her and nobody wants Trump. But the fact that we're even making this decision shows you how little we actually want Hillary. Yeah. So – at the end of it, I think this is going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. And this is one of those situations where – and I'm not saying this from a uh, from a Hillary supportive uh, perspective or a Bernie supporter's perspective. But when you have the, the bombshell of the information that was dropped today on Hillary Clinton, okay, and they're, you know, they're so focused on wanting to beat Trump and, and the Republican Party is so focused on like, we got it. We cannot have Hillary. We can't have Hillary. Who knows what's going to happen? And it's going to be a very interesting next couple of months for sure. I, you know, I don't think it's going to settle down. I, 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 it's only going to get more interesting. I mean, we, we've tried to make these predictions on this one, and we've been wrong because all logic in this particular election is out the window. All logic. Hmm. I think it's all – I actually think when we get back on it, it's all going to make sense. Is it going to clear out? Um, The logic's going to settle and we're going to get some more predictability? I mean, I'm still willing to read book that Bernie eventually is going to say, for the good of the party and to stop Donald Trump, I concede. And And then he'll be the vice president candidate. No, no, no. no. Uh, But once that happens, although Senator Reid is supposedly forming a group of folks to block Hillary from having a VP pick from any red state, which would include Senator Warren. So, so if you guys are interested about who Hillary's VP pick may be, go look up Senator Reid's attempt to block any president, vice wow. VP pick from Can a red state. Can he do that? He's organizing a group right now. Wow. 
Because, yeah, he does. Because, anyways, there's a I, I, ju- I just wonder if, you know, it's one of those situations where when Hillary didn't make it, you know, eight years ago, and Obama talked to her and she circled her wagons behind Obama, that's how Obama won, right? Thanks to Hillary thrusting the people that wanted the first lady president, right, went behind President Obama and got him elected. But in this instance right now, Hillary does not have the young vote right now. She she doesn't have the young vote right now. Senator Sanders has the young vote. So she has to make an olive branch to Senator Sanders somewhere along the line, whether that's a cabinet position or something. She's got to do something to bring those people other Why, over. Chase? Why? Because she won't – I don't know if she'll win without the young vote. <laughs> you know, no. Uh, Chase, Come here's on. the thing. Once Sanders is out – right. The choice, you, you, you'll appreciate it once we're actually in this position. And <clears throat> so please just go back to 189, May 25th, and hear my words. Once we are in this position, uh-huh. everybody will fall in line. Once it is one-to-one, Hillary or Trump, Okay. everyone who is for Bernie will be for Trump. I mean, will be for Hillary. Everybody you, on the everybody? left. Everybody? Really? No. 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 Way less. Way less turnout. But- Fundamentally, in terms of numbers that matter, right. yes, they will all come out because it'll be, well, I definitely don't want Trump. I can't let Trump be elected. I can't be Trump. I'm not saying Trump's going to necessarily lose or win. Right. But what I'm saying is the a, a enough of the Bernie supporters are so anti-Trump, as those protests show us, right. they are so anti-Trump that they begrudgingly will hold their nose and vote for Hillary. Wow. That's my estimation is she doesn't even really have to win them over because the alternative is so bad. I can't and, wait to and see I'm this not play saying, out. Yeah. And by the way, I've been getting a lot of shit about my talking about Trump. I'm not saying I'm not reflecting my personal views at all. I'm no, saying from the perspective yeah, of a I'm Bernie just, supporter, I, the alternative Trump is so bad. I'm not saying Trump is bad or good or not. I don't have a horse in this damn race. It's all content as far as I'm concerned. And that's why we're listener supported because that's that's it's, who it's I basically care about. what you're saying. The, the pick of the lesser of the two evils. While Hillary is evil, she's not as evil as Trump. Evil or not evil, they'll label them however they want to label them, but that will be the logic path, right, essentially. Right, exactly. They could yeah. call it bad, good, evil, uh, warmongering, uh, Hitler, whatever labels they will apply, that'll be the logic path. Do you think that, and maybe this is something to talk about down the road, but do you think that this kind of a election where we've seen some crazy things happen in both Republican and Democratic primaries will foster any kind of change in the future? Either to the system or the process or anything. You know, uh, it's interesting you ask me that because I had a great clip that I just didn't include because I just watched it while I was at home on YouTube. Uh, who was it? It might have been John Oliver, actually. And now that I think about it, I didn't like it because – so John – yeah, it was John oh, Oliver. Oh, yeah. I think John I, Oliver yeah. basically said the system's broken, but uh, this time just let it go and uh, wait about it after the election. Worry about it after – it was a bad message from John Oliver. But what he did point out – is the system doesn't ever get fixed because the winners don't have any interest in fixing it. Oh, totally not. And so <clears throat> he played a few clips from Trump where Trump is bitching about how it's a rigged system and bitching about how delegates are going to cruise. And then after Trump is the presumptive nominee, he's like, <laughs> he literally says, yeah, it's a rigged system, but I don't care anymore. Now I'm the nominee. Literally says that. Yeah. The winners don't care. And because it's the winners that make it into, into the victory circle, they're the ones in power to change something. And they're not in any interest to change it because they just won that game. Right. So, no, I don't think it's going to change. Not yeah. for a while. Not, not until 
the next election cycle. That's when I think your Bernie Sanders will get elected is not this election but the next election cycle. I don't think he's going to have another run in him. No, I'm not saying literally Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie I'm saying Sanders your candidate that's yeah. like Bernie Sanders right. for that era in four years from now. I, I, I am predicting – here's my red book. And by the way, totally reserve the right to change this at any point because like if something legally comes up for Hill Dog, I'm going to change this. My <laughs> prediction is yeah. – and I, this has been my prediction for a while. Hill Dog wins the election, is a one-term president. The next president that comes in is the revolutionary because she gets by one more time. What do you mean the next president is going to be a Republican then at that point? You don't think she would run for a second term? I think shit will be so bad if she's elected or Trump's elected that anybody could win, even a third party candidate, anybody. Or, wow. I don't know. So, are you like, okay, Chase, here's the reason is if you would have, if uh, four years ago, could you have seen candidates like uh, Sanders and Trump? You never, that would have oh, been crazy. No. Now, I don't know what party they'll be attached to, but Republican or Democrat. I don't know what party they'll be. They'll probably be one of the two parties. I mean, that's really just kind of the way it works. Yeah, it is. But the Trump and both Sanders are are not like your go-to classic. No. Trump is not a, not a, a traditional conservative, and and Sanders is definitely not a traditional Democrat. He's, anyways, we don't need to go into all that. Everybody knows all that. My point is, I think this cycle goes to Hill Dog, and I even though right now it seems unbelievable because there's so much passion for Bernie, and unless she's arrested, talking, unless she's arrested, but or then, the DNC pulls her out. You know, if she got arrested and then they tossed in uh, Biden, I still might think Biden has a better shot than Trump. You know what's so sad? Huh? He probably would. Yeah, everyone uh, yeah, loves definitely. Joe. Everybody, Everybody loves, loves Joe. Joe. Because Joe, his dad, you know, he was, you know, his son asked him to run, and his other son went to go run an oil company in Ukraine. And that's, you know, it's touching, Chris. It's touching. <laughs> All right, but All right, buddy. Speaking of Hill Dog, yeah. we got to go out with one more. Uh, so Hill Dog, we were just saying how she's kind of like the Ted Cruz of the left. And how you can just look at her and tell she doesn't like people. She had a moment, though. <laughs> right, though? You can, right? Yeah, she doesn't yeah. like people. Yeah. But she, she had a moment this last week that was my my favorite Hillary moment in a long time. Uh, it, was, it was pretty great. I don't think I've seen so she's at a uh, she's at a she's at a convention thingy whatever they call these things a speech thingy rally a rally thank you and there's somebody in the audience there's actually several individuals in the audience I believe they're men uh, that have their shirts off. <gasps> um, it, it, you know what? As long as they don't take anything else off. <laughs> Well, oh, good. Okay. You know, you got to make split decisions. That's what leadership is all about. Yeah. She's, that's pretty smooth. I, I thought, like, w- being up at 3 in the morning, waiting for that phone call. Keeping you up at night. You know, what's keeping me up at but night? But that is pretty, and look at her smile. She knows she nailed it, too. That's a, wait, wait. Is that like a Bill Clinton kind of a smirk thing? Yeah. That's a, that's a, just nailed it. Then yeah. nailed it. Is she going to mic the drop? Drop the mic? Oh. <laughs> super happy with herself it's kind of adorable because she never really genuinely smiles like that that's a real smile and we are a big diverse country play it up okay where was i back to the script i got to admit it is a little distracting standing up here looking at him so so i'm gonna look over this way and i'm gonna look over that way (laughs) i'm gonna look back there 
She likes men. She likes men. That's what everybody was training about because there's rumors that she's, well. Anyways, there you go. That's my hill dog moment. Uh, did you like it, Chase? Did you find it to be? Uh... Uh, I feel like she's yelling more and more lately, and I don't know why. <laughs> All right. One last story for you, and then we're getting out of here. All right. Have you ever heard of a dank uh, meme? Have you ever heard of a dank meme, Chase? A dank meme? I got it right here for you. A dank meme. Every election throws up something new, and this one has thrown up something called a dank meme. Uh, according to the website, Know Your Meme, and the, there is such a thing as a, a, a website called that, a dank meme is uh, one that's intentionally bad or bizarre, an ironic expression used to mock online viral media and in-jokes that have exhausted their comedic value. Uh, and this, uh, that we just saw, was a dank meme put up by the AMWU against the Prime Minister. So watch your dank memes. And dry drunks in the same morning. Yeah. You're going well. It's all happening here. There you go. Hey, what's your dank meme, Chris? My dank meme is at Chris L-A-S. You got a dank meme, Chase? <laughs> I do. It's it's on Snapchat. Chase Nunes. You on Snapchat, really? I, I Jeez. am. C-H-A-S-C-N-U-N-E-S. You can also follow me on Twitter at Nunes. And by the way, if you are a Minecraft fan, please join me on Sundays, the last Minecraft me show. That's not, that's one you want to catch. 3 p.m. Pacific at live.geekgamer.tv. Oh, speaking of live, you can follow us live, jblive.tv. Follow the Lifetime Jupiter Broadcasting.com slash calendar. Sometimes they're changing, so it's good to stay now, subscribed there. There's a good place where people could post their dank memes of our show. Do you know where that is? Would it be on filter.reddit.com? That's where it would be. News, feedback, uh, even clips that you find online you think should go on the show. That would all be great. Unfilter.reddit.com. Don't forget we are supported by our audience at patreon.com slash Unfilter. That's right. Now, if you are a 33 plus Patreon, be on the lookout because I'm going to be posting an exclusive 33 plus post on our Patreon page where you could send me your messages that will be read starting on episode 190. And I do not promise not to call it Chase's mailbag. Uh, so, <laughs> one last thing to or Chase's sack. Don't forget, we do have. The overtime coming up in a little bit. So if you're sticking around, there's additional clips and a little bit of extra we got for you this week. The overtime is brought to you by our patrons, so we do support and appreciate them. Chase. Yes, Chris. Now that we've come to the end of the show, did you know there is also an email and feedback source for the general public that aren't even patrons? Where? Patreon.com slash contact. If you want to get our patrons. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose Unfilter. We still read those messages. They just might not make it on the air, but we still want to get your emails. All right, everybody. Hey, you guys, pay your respects. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe and sound. And you guys, we will see you right back here next week. Gentlemen, brought to you by our patrons. We're not done yet. Oh, thank you to our new patrons this week for sponsoring this overtime segment. Big shout out to Veltus. Well, that sounds like he's right out of Star Trek. And of course, to David. 
are two new patrons this week. If you'd like to make that number a little bit better next week, patreon.com slash unfiltered. So I'm not done with you yet. I still got more I want to go. Why don't we just keep going with 2016? That was where we left off in the main show. And I got a lot of clips on Debbie. I like the producer Matt, too. The segment for producer Matt is just called Debbie for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about first. First, we got to talk about your friend, my friend, our good buddy, Anderson Cooper. Oh, my gosh. It's Anderson Cooper, everybody. Now, this is put together by uh, somebody online called Mr. Pinko. Not put together by us. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to play the whole thing. I might jump around. It's it's a thing of beauty. Watch Watch Anderson totally, totally play defense for Hillary Clinton in this clip. And the author of this video goes to pains to make it obvious. So I'll just play a little bit of it. Mr. Pinko. Hillary Clinton blamed the victim. Number 101 when you're dealing with rape cases, don't blame the victim. She blamed a 12-year-old girl, a 6th grade 12-year-old girl, of seeking the attention of older men and fantasizing about being with older men. There is audio. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this, so, I mean... Uh, that is CNN's go-to frickin' line. CNN's reporting has not corroborated any of this. We have not corroborated any of this. Corroborate. we got to corroborate. But if everyone else is reporting it, is that not news? You report it when everybody else is reporting it, and you like that. I, I just think you should be very... It's I mean, widely reported. Not being, it's well, widely wi- reported. Widely reported. So it actually is reported by CNN, too. It's a national inquiry, widely reported. We, we, we can go... Mean anything. Not, can, it's not on this network, I would point out. Hillary Clinton had accused her... Oh, this is right here, CNN. ...of uh, some sort of uh, 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 culpability in her own attack. Widely reported. We, we, we can go... That was literally on the show before his. Oh, I mean anything. Not, can, it's not on this network, I would point out. Wait, we, we haven't corroborated any of this... Clinton wrote of the victim, I have been informed that the complainant is emotionally unstable with a tendency to seek out older men and engage in fantasizing. That was literally on Jake Tapper's show, The Lead. Wait, we we haven't corroborated any of this. Not on this network, I would point out. Mrs. Clinton seems to admit she knew the defendant was guilty. Wait, we we haven't corroborated any of this. Not on this network, I would point out. That is Hillary Clinton saying that Bill Clinton took a polygraph test, which he passed. And then she says, which forever destroyed my faith in polygraphs. (laughs) It's not on this network, I would point out. Four decades ago, before she was a possible presidential candidate, before she was even Hillary Clinton... Hillary Rodham was a 27-year-old trier lawyer in Arkansas with a southern drawl and big ambitions. It's not on this network, I would point out. She was asked by a judge to defend a 42-year-old man accused of raping a 12-year-old girl. Now, it goes on and on for a bit. Like I said, it gets a little tedious. Uh, it actually continues on pretty, pretty, gets pretty good. It is a little rough to listen to for a while. Uh so I, I, you get the point, In Arkansas, though. unemployed. She never got married. She never had any children. It's not on this network, I would point out. It goes on. And you got to wonder why, why, why Anderson had to jump in and interrupt his guests like that. So if you followed just briefly our uh, Wasterman Schultz coverage of Debbie there. We kind of imply that she's she's got some pressure to get out, and that the media is is continuing that message. This is this is what the overtime pays off for right here. Here's really the extra context you're going to get to those clips now. If you stuck around, you're and you weren't fully up to speed on this. I think this is going to help fill in the rest of the picture. 
DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Sanders campaign have had their issues, to put it lightly. Wasserman Schultz was critical of Bernie Sanders for not saying enough about the ruckus that unfolded at the Nevada convention over the weekend. Sanders' campaign responded. We can have a long a conversation just about Debbie Wasserman Schultz and how she's been throwing shade on the Sanders campaign uh, since the very beginning. Uh, whether it was the debate schedule uh, that were very few and far between and scheduled on weekends when no one was going to be watching. Uh, whether it was the when they shut off the Sanders access to his own data and we had to sue them in federal court to get it back. Remember that one? Or whether it was uh, these joint fundraising agreements with the Hillary Clinton campaign, which are taking money away from state parties and sending it to the DNC. Oh, yeah. Look, it's not, I, I got to say, it's not the DNC. You know, by and large, people of the DNC have been very uh, good to us. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz really is the exception. So they're really going after her. And there is a contender, a contender to go after Debbie's position. And that's really uh, what it's about. Welcome back to The Real Story. The rift inside the Democratic Party may be going beyond the presidential primary. The head of the Democratic National Committee, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, is facing a primary challenge for her seat in a big way. Her challenger has been endorsed by Senator Bernie Sanders. Listen to this. Clearly, I favor uh, her opponent. Uh, his views are much closer to mine uh, than is, uh, is uh, Wasserman Schultz's. Uh, and let me also say this, in all due respect to the current uh, chairperson, uh -huh. if elected president, she would not be reappointed oh. uh, to be chair of the DNC. That is not a small deal. Hello, everybody. She is a huge Obama supporter. She is a huge Hill Dog supporter. He is making one of Bernie's biggest statements I think he has made his entire campaign. I think that is not a small thing at all. In all due respect to the current uh, chairperson, if elected president, she would not be reappointed uh, to be chair of the DNC. Well, joining me now is Tim Canova, the man challenging Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, Tim, great to have you on The Real Story. Why is Debbie Wasserman Thank Schultz you. unfit to serve in your mind? Well, I think she's been around for a while uh, oh. and she's uh, seen increasingly as a, a political insider who's not representing the interests of her constituents all that well. So is it that she... It, well, I just want to... <laughs> Girl Lennox says, too bad he looks like Voldemort. <laughs> because one of the things that Bernie Sanders is really upset about <laughs> is that he feels like she has been behind this sort of establishment movement to favor Hillary Clinton. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a hard one to say. Uh, you know, she... Uh, let me put it this way. When you look at her tenure as the head of the Democratic National Committee... One of the big decisions she made was to overturn President Obama's 2008 ban on corporate lobbyist donations to the DNC. And then we learned that 60 or 70 superdelegates are corporate lobbyists. And, uh, you know, that's oh, problematic. That's it, a good it, stat. It, uh, you wonder what the... Did you catch that? I did not catch that. I, I'm surprised. Well, you know, sometimes you have to listen to these things a couple of times, even, even myself. Uh, that is a very interesting stat. Head of the Democratic National Committee. One of the big decisions she made was to overturn President Obama's 2008 ban on corporate lobbyist donations right. to the DNC. And then we learned that 60 or 70 superdelegates are corporate lobbyists. And, uh, you know, that's problematic. It, wow, that is, uh, that is not an accidental stat that they just released there. That is 60 or 70. Committee. One of the big decisions she made was to overturn President Obama's mm -hmm. 2008 ban on corporate lobbyist donations to the DNC. And then we learn that 60 or 70 superdelegates are corporate lobbyists. I guess that's not a lot of them. 60 or 70, that's not a dramatic amount. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty surprised by that too, Jerem. And, uh, you know, that's problematic. It, 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 uh, 
you wonder what the agenda is of superdelegates when they're not even elected representatives and they're not beholden to the American people. Yeah. Wow. And I, and I guess surprised isn't the right word to use, is it? I'm disappointed. I'm really, really frustrated. I'm angry. I feel lied to. I feel foolish. But I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I'm disappointed that I'm not surprised. And, uh, you know, that's problematic. It, 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 uh, you wonder what the agenda is of superdelegates when they're not even elected representatives and they're not beholden to the American people, yeah, but well, they represent the special The American people interests. are scratching their heads right now, too, because Bernie Sanders keeps <laughs> winning states, and yet he's... He can't get the nomination because of these superdelegates. I want oh, she seems to be touching on something there, I think. <laughs> so there you go. little Debbie background for you. That's why they want her out of there. mention this in the show i said a top u.s commander went over to syria and then some bombings happened that's one of those where you go what's he talking about well if you listen to the overtime you get the inside scoop these are the first images ever shown publicly from a U.S. special operations training camp in northern Syria. Oh. From here and other secret nearby locations, the U.S. military is racing time to train enough local Syrian forces huh. so they can push south towards Raqqa, ISIS's declared capital. You know what those look like? No kidding. One to one. Look at this. These look like where the ISIS videos are shot when they're showing the ISIS people with all of the hoods on doing their training missions uh, and like they're all doing like, uh, you know, loading their guns in unison, cocking the guns or kicking the air because ISIS fighters kick the air and get into hand to hand combat all the time. Wow, look at that. That looks exactly like this, the location you see in the propaganda videos. Now, I, I'm sure it's just because it's the same region. I'm sure it's not because they shot those videos in U.S. territory. I, <laughs> if that's the conclusion you drew, I certainly was not. I was not implying that. I, <laughs> I was not saying that. Nearby locations, the U.S. military is racing time to train enough local Syrian forces so they can push south towards Raqqa, ISIS's declared capital. CNN was the only television network with General oh. Joseph Votel on his secret day-long trip to Syria. Votel oversees the war against ISIS. My principal purpose was to meet with uh, some of the Syrian Democratic Force leadership. So he met with the leadership. Um, in multiple locations. In multiple locations. And also to meet with our advisor teams. General Votel has come to northern Syria under extraordinary security conditions. In fact, we've been asked not to reveal a number of details on how we all got here. But Votel considers this why. part of the war a top priority. He is here to meet with the U.S. military advisors that are helping some of these local troops that you see work to defeat ISIS. Oh. Votel went to multiple locations we've been asked not to disclose. He went to multiple locations, huh? Hmm. 
Okay. Meeting with key local leaders in the Syrian Democratic Forces, an umbrella organization overseeing many of these young Arab fighters the U.S. is training. I'm sure that works great. So he goes to an umbrella organization who is overseeing these people that they're taking off the street and giving guns to. A spokesman for the Arab forces being trained here is critical of U.S. efforts. He says his group urgently needs more ammunition and weapons beyond the few ammunition supplies he says the U.S. has delivered. We've been given a limited number of old rifles. Due to security concerns, we are not allowed to show details huh. of the base. Our cameras are restricted. Okay. Security is so high here, the U.S. advisors want their faces shielded. But they do want to talk about the training. You're a military advisor here. What do you guys do here? See how he's dressed? We are here training the Syrian Democratic Forces. Now, when I say training, generally that's consisting of basic level uh, weapons training, shooting AK-47s and shooting larger machine guns. Their four-star general taking an extraordinary step to see it all firsthand. I have responsibility for this mission. I have responsibility for the people that we put here. So it's, it's imperative for me to come and see what they're dealing with, to share the risks that they are, uh, they are absorbing on a day-to-day basis. Even as the Arab fighters here patrol the surrounding fields and stand watch, getting ready for whatever their future holds. So after he left... The U.S.-backed troops, the anti-Assad troops, attacked several locations and killed civilians. Now, he went to several locations and met with different leadership. And then that attack occurred. I don't know what to make of that. I wanted to play the clip for you, but I don't know if we have it. I uh, Let me see. This might be it. Let me see if this is it. <clears throat> no, this is not it. I'm doing a little uh, check here. But it's suspicious. Oh, here we go. This is probably it right here. The top U.S. military commando for for the Middle East made a secret visit to Syria over the weekend. Army General Joseph Votel met with rebels and Kurds fighting the Assad regime and ISIS. Today, ISIS unleashed a series of bomb blasts along Syria's Mediterranean coast. More than 120 people were killed. A series of bomb blasts. And where those bomb blasts occurred, I think, are pretty important because... It's the heart of where life is still good for Assad supporters. This is Assad's territory where he says this is where, we're, where we have a functioning government and quality of life is good. And if these terrorists backed by the West would go away, all of Syria would be like this. This is his example to the rest of the nation. And that's where they struck. Elizabeth Palmer reports ISIS hoped to rattle the dictator. No one caught up in today's deadly bombings believed this could happen in Latakia. It's the heartland of the regime, home to President Bashar al-Assad's family and to two Russian military bases. Until today, it was the most secure part of the country. So much so that during our last visit, we found Syrians on the beach taking a break from the war. But today's carnage sends a message to Syrians from ISIS. It's on the offensive, and now 
nowhere is safe. But recent ISIS bombings, like the one that ripped through Baghdad two weeks ago, may actually show that the group is on the defensive. Just last week, it was chased out of Rutba near the Iraqi border, and overall its territory has been shrinking for months. Now ISIS may be about to lose Fallujah, which it's controlled for more than two years. On national television, Iraqi Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi told the country, the army is determined to win. For months, Iraqi forces have been training with U.S. advisors. And today, 20,000 soldiers, counterterrorism troops and police began their offensive. If history is anything to go by, the battle for Fallujah, with heavy losses on both sides, could last for weeks. And in the past few days, for the very first time, an ISIS spokesman admitted the group could lose its main strongholds, but warned it would carry on operating as a violent insurgency, which probably means we'll see more bombings like the ones we saw today. coincidence the timing just a just a coincidence just a coincidence the timing i got another clip i want to play from you from that cia piece that uh, 48 hours did and this is a good one it didn't fit with the flow of the main show but i think it's really great for overtime so george Tennant, remember george Tennant, director of the cia mm. he continued on um i he he called the iraq war for what it was Now, you remember the weapons of mass destruction was said to be an intelligence failure. Remember Colin Powell with the uh, with the vial of uh, chemical weapons, an anthrax threat. Weapons of mass destruction is very likely it's going to be a slam dunk. You remember that? It's going to be a slam dunk. Well, the CIA wants to set the message straight on that, too. Iraq. There is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. And he had an established relationship with al-Qaeda. There was a relationship between al-Qaeda and Iraq that stretched back 10 years. That's not something I thought of. That's what the director of Central Intelligence uh, was telling us. This connection did not exist. Oh, boom! Right there, right after Cheney says it. Former director of the CIA. That was a lie. Boom, right there. Bam, drop it. That's not something I thought of. That's what the director of Central Intelligence uh, was telling us. This connection did not exist. We intervened on numerous occasions to say so. Everybody knew what our point of view was. And I remember once going to the president and saying, look, this has got to stop. We can't support this language. We stuck with that view that uh, Saddam was not involved in 9-11. But on the central question, does Saddam Hussein have weapons of mass destruction? The CIA's answer is yes. In the Oval Office, Director Tenet reassures George W. Bush with a metaphor that becomes infamous. I said, um, we can make this better. It's a slam dunk. It was Tenet who assured President Bush the question of Iraq having weapons of mass destruction was a slam dunk. Now, the way it was portrayed was this was the seminal moment in the president's life in terms of deciding whether to go to war or not. It's not what happened at all. 
the decision to go to war and uh, orders to send troops had already been signed. I mean, we, we were way down the road here. The public case to go to war will be made by Secretary of State Colin Powell in a pivotal speech vetted by the CIA and George Tennant. We know that Saddam Hussein is determined to keep his weapons of mass destruction. He's determined to make more. And Secretary Powell makes a startling claim about biological weapons that come from a dubious source. A source some in the CIA knew was unreliable. We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. It should have never been in the speech. Our senior officer in Germany was writing cables in that there were problems with this source, don't use this source, never surfaced to us. You know, we let him down. And he he knows how I feel about all this. I find it interesting that he is at least accepting that. Now, is that legitimate? Is that part of an overall narrative? I don't know. But that is where he concedes. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people. And to defend the world from grave danger. It's been 21 months since President Bush launched the invasion of Iraq, based in large part on the faulty intelligence that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Oh, they hate that meme. Senate Intelligence Committee has issued a scathing report on CIA intelligence failures on the threat level of pre-war Iraq. We went to war in Iraq based on false claims. Our blame in this was not just that we were wrong. We were, and that's bad. But we did not communicate our ambiguity. Now, for you audio listeners, they have a super close-up, kind of creepy, zombie-like, nice high-resolution DSLR shot of Hayden's face and what would normally be his neck. And next to it, they have General Michael Hayden, director, 2006 through 09, you know, when we turned on the NSA spying program. Uh, And in there, below that, it has the thing he did good. He emptied black sites. That's that's the thing he did good. He emptied black sites. And they have this on the title card while he's speaking. They don't put on there that he's also one of the directors that helped create and set up some of those black sites. We did not communicate that we had anything except full confidence in our estimates to the policymakers. And that's really the issue. Our analysts were good and honest people. There's no political motivation here. We basically came to those conclusions. Nope, nobody, nobody cooked the books. No. Look, if we wanted to cook the books, if you wanted to cook the books, all you needed to do is say uh, Iraq was directly involved in 9-11. Game, set, match, point, over. We never did that. So we were wrong, and we have to take responsibility for that. But at the end of the day, here it is. policymakers need to be a little bit more forthcoming about what their own motivations were. Former director of the CIA, George Tenet, is about to tell you why we went to war in Iraq. Now, if there was ever a more educated opinion, it would have to be the president himself being honest, which is never going to happen. This is as high level as we are ever going to get. Legitimately. Right now, right here, what I'm about to play. In this instance, perhaps, how to remake the Middle East. How to remake the Middle East. 
That's what it's about, remaking the Middle East. I want to play it again, actually. Because I think that is... If you've ever had a doubt, if you've, ever had a, if you've wondered... In this instance, perhaps, how to remake the Middle East. There you go. That's not some think tank pundit on CNN. That's not some crackpot politician running for president. Former director of the CIA, who was in the job at the time. wants to do their part and if you just have the right message you can change minds or if you just selectively edit you could at least make it look that way how willing would american college students be to fund something so radical something anti-american anti-israeli and pro-terrorist well oh what oh what okay only fox news because of course colleges equal liberal right so therefore colleges equal bad <laughs> i just love this filmmaker ami horowitz found out and it is horrifying i work for american friends for hamas okay we're not your father's terrorist organization we've kind of evolved beyond that you know, still kind of what we do but we've kind of rebuilt and rebranded ourselves and uh you know you know hamas is where it's at we're raising money to do what you know we do as hamas we want to fund <laughs> Hamas, Hamas is where it's at. Operations against Israel, and you know the type of uh, attacks we're talking about are cafes and schools and you know soft targets. I've actually been learning about last in this last school year about everything that's going on over there. So I, I like the sound of what you're doing. It sounds like the great thing to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was a man on the street selectively edited piece. Although that's a pretty good one. The full clip is in the BitTorrent sync for our supporters. Thank you guys for listening to the whole show. Thank you to our patrons over patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to our live stream. Thank you, everybody, for listening for for nothing else. Thanks for listening. Don't forget we got the RSS feeds. We got the show notes with additional links in it, although not as many as normal this week. So not a good example this week. I apologize. Thanks for listening. See you next week.